da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hey, man, fam. It's Brian. Uh, I am joined by my dear friend from the Geek 101 podcast, Ariel Rada. Ariel, how you doing, man? What's up, Brian? What's up, man, fam? How you been? Good, man. I'm good. I'm I'm slowly getting back into uh, the swing of things. This has been a very we were talking about very been a very long couple of weeks for me personally. I know for you as well. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm but things are 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 looking up. Everything's coming up Millhouse for me, and I'm, I'm things are, are back on. So, but but it has been a uh, it's been a long couple of weeks. I've been very tired and have missed a couple of uh, of mad about movies things over the last few weeks thanks to uh i'm glad kent thanks to kent richard and and batman shane for filling in for me and doing the oceans 11 oceans trilogy i should say podcast last week that uh i'm so bummed to have missed and thanks to uh all the man family reached out to me and and uh express condolences for uh family loss and whatnot i appreciate that very kind of all of you uh, but i'm back now and uh so kent and richard are both uh, very busy human beings and uh, are, of course, very much more popular uh, than I am and, and party much harder <laughs> than than I do and apparently <laughs> than you do, Ariel, as well. So um, so they are off doing their own thing. We have so many episodes this week that it felt like we weren't going to all be able to do all of them, and I think that that is <laughs> the case here. So I really felt like, uh, in case you don't know, Incredibles 2 is headed our direction this weekend and I felt like we needed to have an Incredibles throwback out there prior to the release of uh, of that sequel and uh, so this is this is it so if this is your first time listening to Mad About Movies a welcome so happy to have you here and b uh, typically I am not the host so if you're like this guy's terrible at hosting you're probably right and uh, you can try again another episode because it's not usually me. Usually, Kent and Richard are here. They are not, so I'm, I've got Ariel, as I said, and uh, we're going to talk some Incredibles and some Pixar, and uh, I'm excited to to hear what you have to bring to the table on this film here, Ariel. So I'm gonna I'm just going to toss it to you first. Um, give me... A, I know you're a bit younger, so you are like right in the um, the wheelhouse of this movie, just from an age standpoint. I feel like, but I want to get yeah. the uh, I want to get your general general take on on this movie, and then we'll we'll kind of get into some more in depth stuff. I'm not I'll, I'll put it out at the front. I we're not going to be super concerned about spoilers because this movie is 14 years old. So if you have not seen Incredibles and you're like tuning into a new podcast for the first time to hear an incredible state. I don't know who you are. What's, what's the matter with you? So <laughs> I, we're just going to assume that you've seen this movie and, uh, and we'll, we'll just go from there. So Ariel, uh, initial impressions and general feedback on how you feel about this movie. What was the first time you saw it? All that good stuff. Uh, I want to know, I want to hear from you. All right. Well, um, I think my, my core belief and my core feelings around this movie, um, haven't changed from when I was 13 years old and it and it first came out. Uh, superheroes are one of my uh, great big like entertainment loves. Um, obviously, by my Geek 101 uh, podcasting, um, this movie is is great. It's it's legitimately great and not in a oh this is a good animated movie sense. And now looking at it, it's not even in a oh this is a good super movie superhero movie sense. I think this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, while also admitting that it is like a a kid slash family movie, um, like a, but like so is ET and and that movie is you know regarded as one of the best ever, um, or among them. And so I, I I think that this movie is way um more expertly crafted and written than I first realized at thirteen years old. Yeah. Um. So I think it's pretty cool that like at thirteen I can I can think wow they have great action. Great family dynamics, really cool costumes, and a really nice like superhero tale. And now that I'm, you know, almost 15 years later, I'm looking at, I'm like, no, this is this is tightly written. Uh, this is beautifully animated, considering it came out in 04. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's 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 just so it's so dynamic in both the animation and the action and the movement that they want to give you, which is a word I've been using a lot lately because I feel like some superhero things are getting a little too stiff and and boring. 
Um, so when I see something that, that that's dynamic in so many different ways, I, I really appreciate it. So this movie uh, is is incredible, for lack of a better word. <laughs> right, yes. I feel like I'm going to say that a dozen times in this uh, podcast without without trying to do the the play on words. Uh, so I apologize in advance. I was, I think I was 20, 23 ish, which super makes me feel old when, when the movie came out, this was a, um, I've, I've long held this up as the best of the Pixar movies. Um, I don't, I have a, we'll talk about more Pixar rankings and such at the end, but, um, I, I feel like I loved toy story. Uh, and I loved monsters Inc. And I, even a bug's life, like, I respected at at my age at twelve to to fifteen to twenty whatever um, when those movies came out, I very much respected um, what they were doing and the difference between a Pixar movie and most other movies, especially in that era when Disney movies were not uh, particularly strong um, at all. Really, between I don't know Lion King and <sighs> I, I don't even know somewhere in the in the late. 2000s it's just not not the best era of of disney maybe tangled anyway um so there's like a distinct difference even to my my young brain and then in my you know my late teenage years um between these movies and uh and and everything else that was out there but i also was a teenager when those movies were coming out and and had like a little bit of predisposition uh because you know, teenagers are dumb to just be like, well, it's, you know, it's a kid's movie. I'm not, I'm not super into that or whatever. <laughs> um, even though, you know, Toy Story is like deeply affecting me emotionally and I'm just like not, not acknowledging it or something. Uh, yeah. Like, no, I don't have feelings. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm cool. Uh, and so not cool at all, but, but, uh, Incredibles comes out and it was like kind of a light bulb for me, just kind of a light bulb moment of like, Oh, this is, this is decisively different than pretty much anything that I'd seen animation wise up to that point and could make a good case that it, it, it remains. So, um, cause I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think, and I think that's the thing that maybe sticks out the most still 14 years later, having seen this movie, you know, a couple dozen or three dozen times is how good of an, just a movie it is, regardless of whether it's animated or live action or Pixar, or, you know, whatever. The, all the qualifiers that we tend to slap on uh, any kind of movie. Really. Oh, it's very good for a superhero movie. It's it's very good for a, you know, a kid's movie, right, whatever. Right, yeah. All of the qualifiers can kind of uh, get tossed out the window because the movie is just so incredibly good and rich and um, remarkably well-written. Uh, you know, I think it says, it, it says a lot about The Incredibles that... That Brad Bird got a nomination, uh, an Oscar nomination uh, for for writing for the script. That's I could, I guess, I could look up to see when the last time that has happened, or how frequently that has happened that an animated film got uh, a best writing uh, nomination. But it's very infrequently, let's say, not very often at all. And uh, and you go back and you watch it now, and you're like, absolutely. And in, and maybe in some ways you're like, how it probably should have won because it's it's so. It's so well written, and I think that that um, is as much as the animation and the voice casting, which we'll talk about in a minute, and all the other things that make this a really, really, really good to great movie. Um, I think the writing is kind of what what holds it up as just this kind of beacon of of incredibleness. There's one, so let's maybe, maybe this is a, a drinking game. I don't know. Uh, every time <laughs> we say incredible, everybody take a shot of grape juice. Um, yeah, so okay, here's <laughs> okay. These were the films that were nominated for uh for I just, screenplay. I just looked it up. <laughs> gosh. Gosh, screenplay that year. By the way, this is the worst era of film. I to me, we've talked about this before. It's like 2000 to 2004, 2005. There's certainly some very good movies in there for sure, but it's just a weird era where it didn't feel like anyone super knew what they were doing and we're kind of we have new technology, we don't really know how to use it. And it's just a weird not not my favorite era anyway. Uh original screenplay that year, the nominees were The Incredibles, Hotel Hotel Rwanda, The Aviator, uh Vera Drake and the winner uh Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So I I'm not gonna Eternal Sunshine has a huge fan base. I don't want to make anybody angry. Um, and it's a very well written film, so maybe that deserves. But I'm not sure that The Aviator and 
Vera Drake deserved spot. And regardless, <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't matter. It was a long time ago, but it's it does feel like um, the uh, the writing on this has aged incredibly well, as maybe some of that other stuff has not. So, um, for me, is a kind of was a served as a like a, a reminder of how good animation can be and how this movie this movie just is different i think than almost any anything like it um let's talk uh let's talk a little bit about the cast um this one of the one of the hallmarks of a pixar movie versus say a sony animated movie or a dreamworks movie or something like that is and i've always respected this about pixar pixar tends to pick uh actors and actresses who fit the characters much more so than have just a name and if those two things come together then that's fantastic it's you know billy crystal and and american treasure john goodman great awesome that worked out really well but if it's coach then okay hey that (laughs) turned out well and i think it kind of gave craig t nelson a second phase of or third phase or whatever of of his career but how do you feel about the voice cast here and do you feel like uh they fit the characters. The character is, is there an outlier that you feel like could be redone? Like, is there any any criticism on that front, or or uh, you feel like that's it's all pretty well done? Um, I think first of all, the, the Craig T. Nelson casting is absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in a, in another world where Craig T. Nelson is an act is a young actor today, he looks exactly like um, Mister Incredible. Like when you first see him, and is all fit, and you know has to do that kind of. Uh, heartthrob as an actor but like like a young all-american type guy like it's perfect uh and i think he's 60 when he start when he does this role um because you have you know you have him as an older guy but he's he's just incredible mm-hmm. um holly hunter as as helen Parr. i thought it was when i was watching it and i was like that's not um jody foster like oh yeah sure it's really awkward as as like a kid uh as like a 13 year old whatever um but she's like she's very good too, and then of course I think the last one is um, Jason Lee as, mm-hmm. as Syndrome. Yeah, they're like it's I I I don't know how Pixar does it right. They're they're just so amazing <laughs> at picking the right people for this and giving them the right sense of charm. And, and and the script really does help. But for your your three leads, it's just I you can't do it better. Mm. Um, and DC actually does an incredible job of, of casting their movies. Uh, but then it's also one thing to cast and to put them in a position to <laughs> succeed like this one does. Sure. And DC does not. Yeah. Um, yeah. DC just, it's like my brain immediately starts, I don't know, seizing or something. It's just, oh gosh. I mean, I, we, I might take it back because they, they cast Jared Leto and that undoes every piece of goodwill they've well, ever had. Get ready, man. Another... Another Joker movie headed our way. Can't, can't wait. Um, two two Joker movies and an appearance in the the Harley Quinn I don't female-led it. movie and then appearance in Suicide Squad 2. We're going to have four Joker Jared Leto-esque <laughs> movies. Four. Can't uh, – I can't wait. I can't wait. It'll keep this podcast going for a long time if nothing else. That's what it is, man. It's, they're just trying – they're big man fam over there at, at Warner Brothers DC. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I like how we can't talk about movies without it turning into DC talk. Um, yeah, look, I love Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter has this incredibly interesting career where um, she is she's great. She's great. She's always great. Um, and the the uh, always I she did have well an appearance in twenty sixteen. Um. <laughs> That's not her fault. It, it, look, it's okay. not it's not Fair. her fault that the piss jar took all the spotlight. You know? Gosh. From her, um, oh, just, she was acting her her yeah. butt off. She was with, with the piss jar, and and it was giving her nothing. You know, just, <laughs> oh man. Um, look, I love Holly Hunter. Oh. Holly Hunter can be very. She can be used. Um, her earnestness on screen. I'm trying to say this in the right way. Her earnestness can become extremely annoying if you use her incorrectly, and. Uh, and sometimes you for sometimes I forget that sometimes I see oh Holly Hunter's in a movie gosh I don't know I don't know if she's going to I just have this fear of like it's going to be a kind of annoying character and it it makes me angry that I feel that way because there are so many examples of of her not being um, used that way in in film 
and a lot recently. She was so good in Big Sick. I I thought was the best performance in that film by a, by a fair margin. We Rich and I talked about uh, broadcast news last the end of last year, and she's a force in that. She's unreal. Uh, and anyway, she's she's somebody that I think it's if she was. Uh, I think she's kind of one of those examples of how this entire system is slanted towards <laughs> towards uh, men because I think if she was a man she is a complete movie star at this point because she's just so good but she anyway yeah. she's she's unbelievably good in the in the, the uh, voice role here and she works really well with with Craig T. Nelson and the rest I'm super excited for for uh, Incredibles 2 to see her get even more of the the pull it looks like right she's she's she looks to be the number one yeah. lead yeah in Incredibles 2 and that, that sounds great I'm excited for that and it's Jason Lee is uh is a fun, noted by the way noted art dealer art gallery person here in the oh he's in Denton I think it's I, I have to check with Kent it's a weird he has some kind of art gallery around here he's become a very photography gallery. yeah he's okay there it is he's big in that world it's just, he's an interesting guy he's got a he'd be he'd be a very interesting guy to sit down and talk just have a drink right, with because right. he's just kind of been all over the place has a has a strange resume but he's great in this it, i found it interesting that jason lee and just kind of goes to show how these movies get made and the process that goes into them. jason lee's part uh for syndrome it took him four days to record total so he's on set quote-unquote for four days Whereas Craig T. Nelson, it was it was a two year process of coming in and out and recording and re recording and stuff. It's just it's funny how that stuff works with the animated films. Well, I, I can actually provide some insight into. Bring it. it. I'm here for it. Um, so Jason Lee's part of Syndrome. Syndrome is largely used to to show up and to say a bunch of lines, and then and then he moves out of the the scene right. Mm-hmm. Where Mr. Incredible and and uh, Elastigirl, I think also, but Mr. Incredible mostly. Where anytime you need. Um, physical exertion expressed. Mm-hmm. It takes incredibly long okay. to get all that done. Makes sense. So there's 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 video of um, Kevin Conroy, the guy who plays Batman. Yeah, and he's literally just like in a studio for days, just going, Ugh, uh, like. But you have to like get every iteration of that. You have to have it with low breath. You have to have it when you're able to breathe. Um, anytime you're you're doing pain, drowning, like sorrow size they all have to be recorded and they all have like you can't just have somebody do um like just sit there through the script for that stuff right Mm -hmm. sit there with the script and and talk dialogue you can but that uh since they they change action scenes so much in in animation because they can um to get it perfect it's so like for example the scene where he fights the robot there's a scene where he's working out there's scenes where he gets pummeled by those sticky Mm-hmm. cannonball thingies like all of those have to provide different types of grunts and breaths and size nice okay very interesting yeah okay um a couple other cat that's cool i like that that scene by the way is excellent it's a that's such a cool i, I want to talk in a minute about the kind of just the, yeah, the settings yeah. and the architecture and the uh technology and stuff but i've i've always i thought that was such a from the first time i saw the movie through this most recent time i think that that the sticky rubber ball thing is just such a fun it's it is brilliant. Yeah, it's a brilliant piece of because uh, like you think about it, like you can't stop Mister Incredible with cannonballs. Right, it's not going to work. Right, you can't stop him with lasers, but if you can stop his momentum, yeah, like that's brilliant. I love that. That's very cool. A couple other quick casting notes, and we'll and we'll move on. Um, they had talked to Lily originally talked to Lily Tomlin about providing the vo- the voice for uh, for Edna, and uh, she listened to Brad Bird. Actually, if you don't know this, Brad Bird does the voice of of Edna and Edna's the is such a a uh, scene stealer all around uh one of I think is one, one of it tends to be one of everybody's favorite character in the yeah, in the movie the best voice acting in the yeah. in the movie so funny <laughs> and Brad Bird just did it as like a uh just a fill in basically until we got somebody else to come in and do this and anyway Lily Tomlin listened to that and said no you can just keep it it sounds great go with that which I thought that was interesting uh had some conversations with Joaquin Phoenix to play Syndrome at one point. So this movie, hmm. I think, becomes entirely different with that uh, <laughs> with that casting. Be very, Can't imagine. Be very weird to see Joaquin Phoenix try to get into character for an animated uh, villain. I don't know. Um, maybe there needs to be a documentary on that. Maybe that would have been. I don't worth think it. that works. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't I think just... so either. And I and I love Joaquin, but it's a. 
I think that becomes a stranger. It becomes a different movie. And um, I, again, I, I really I think that's one of the keys to what makes Pixar so much better than just about anybody else's. There's no. I think if this movie is getting developed at Warner Brothers or DreamWorks or something like that, that feels like the type of thing that gets forced in. Uh, yeah, we've got yeah. to have Joaquin Phoenix for this instead of like, does he fit the character? Does this character work with him? Does the does he work with us? Because Joaquin Phoenix is not particularly easy to to work with, and no. I you know I I don't know how that how that plays out, but it seems like something that gets done, uh, gets forced through at uh, another studio, and and instead uh, Pixar Disney is just kind of lets it. He's lie. he's so wrong for the script. I can't imagine it. Oh yeah, no, he's, it, it he's sounds so terrible. wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. That sounds like a terrible idea, um, and I'm glad that it. <laughs> I'm glad that it's Earl instead of Joaquin Phoenix. Right. I mean, I could like, I don't know, like you put Jim Carrey in that and he nails the role. Mm, like, sure. You know, something like, because I don't know, there's too much charm, not charm, goofiness, I think is the proper word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not enough quietness in the role to really take advantage of someone like Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know. That's sure. That's weird. No, I totally agree. Um, last casting note, and then we'll move on. Sarah Vowell, who voices Violet. Uh, had never acted before, and Brad Bird heard her voice on an episode of... She was basically narrating an episode of This American Life uh, on NPR, and he just thought she was the perfect voice. And they ultimately... I found this note very interesting. They ultimately created... It sounded like she was kind of hesitant about doing it, and uh, so Pixar made an animated short basically featuring her voice in this role to send to her to like show her how we're going to... uh, how we view this, how we're going to use you and stuff. I thought that was very interesting and, and something very Pixarian uh, to do. Also very Dallas Mavericks-y to do. There was very, it was widely reported that when the Mavericks were <sighs> recruiting Dwight Howard, which didn't work out for either party, thank God, but uh, he, <laughs> that they showed him an animated video of I basically a superhero version of Dwight Howard in a Mavericks uniform. And, uh, it didn't work because we I, we didn't have enough Skittles on hand. That was the main reason mm. the Mavericks weren't able to to get Dwight Howard. Um, didn't have his his particular brand of Skittles. Enough of them, anyway. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, man. Such a stupid thing. Richard, right now, somewhere, his ears are burning and he's he's very angry. Like that was, I think, for a week straight. Like every third text I got from Richard was just about. They seriously recruited this guy with an animated short. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> he was so angry. Cracks me up. Um, okay, so I, I mentioned the uh, you mentioned off the top the animation. You're kind of a, more you're more of an animation uh, aficionado than I am. I love. Sure. I think it's I think it's some of the best animation ever done. It looks great still 14 years later and again i want to reiterate this was made during one of the worst periods for uh computer graphics i'm like what you can do but we're not good at it yet and still this looks really good on this rewatch i felt like the the name cat characters the faces that you really recognize and stuff the settings the set pieces all that stuff still look better than almost anything that has been uh, created to, to date the kind of the background characters and the like stand in people, uh, the NPCs, <laughs> if you will, right, right. are a little less, uh, you can tell there's a little less detail to them. And those look a little bit worse for wear uh, now still something I think is still better than most other movies that are uh, coming out at this point. But um, it is. It was a little bit noticeable to me this time around for the first time. Of like, oh, okay, those those don't hold up quite as well as as you might expect or might have hoped for. But the the main people, the main settings, all that stuff still just looks uh, amazing. So, is there? Where do you put this? Just on the the animation scale, uh, what do you compare it to? How do you how do you feel about it more than anything? Um, still, you know, almost fifteen years later. Um, I think the, the brilliance behind this is not in, like, I think that the, the face, face designs, um, for most of the characters are, are really good. Oddly enough, I, I don't think we get a ton in the kids, mm-hmm. uh, maybe D- Dash and Elastigirl, we don't get a ton. You get a lot in Violet and her face and her the animation there. You get a lot in Mr. Incredible, 
which I really like, uh, and in Syndrome as well. But I, like I said earlier, the the real thing that makes the animation special, and this is not the um, the smoothness of it, because you can see that in the movie coming out this month. Yeah. Um, and like it's kind of like the difference between like Toy Story one and like Toy Story three, or Toy Story two and Toy Story three, where like the smoothness isn't quite there, but it's it's the way they're able to do movement in that three D style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the first times you're just like, wow, they're nailing this. Like, sure. Uh, I'm I'm looking at the Disney schedule right now, and like, they're so much smoother than in like Shrek, uh, which isn't Disney, but that came out what yes. two three years oh prior to this. Yes, it, it's like a it's like ten years have passed yes, when really absolutely. it was only two. Um, and so sh- yeah, it was just I watched Shrek movement. recently, and I was like, I was um, it's whatever. It's nothing against the movie or the right. animes or anything like that. That's Again, it's the time period. It is what it is. It does not look good at all. No, at this point. it looks uh-huh. very, very clunky and not. Um, I mean, I know it's an ogre, but not lifelike to me at this point. So. Right, and and this one they went with more cartoony figures, which is which is good because it's uh, you know because of the time. But you you the way you see, I think Elastigirl is probably the best example of this. Like when you really see her move and use her powers. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, like that's really great animation movement. And I didn't, I don't know how they do it. Like, I don't, sure. I don't do, I, I can tell you a lot of processes in hand drawn, but 3D, I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really impressive what they're able to do. And, and it, it holds up. I, I like, I watched Anastasia within the last few months, mm-hmm. and that was rough. Like, the animation's rough. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like the same thing with, with Shrek. Shrek, again, it's just like, it's like wow, this is this is really blocky. The movement is kind of it's not smooth enough. Um, the models are okay. This one is is really great animation, especially for the time. Yeah, okay, I agree. I, I'm I'm right there with you. Gosh, Shrek! I was I was bummed out almost by Shrek because <laughs> my son. Uh, those aren't. I mean, those aren't like my favorite animated movies by any means. But we recent my kiddo and I saw. Uh, one of my kids from the the program that I that I've you know worked with for whatever uh, they did Shrek for like School Musical and he this kid that I know played Donkey and so I took Coop to see the play and we really enjoyed it it was fun and and uh, he was he came back like oh I really want to see that and then it popped up on Netflix and we we started watching it. And he dug it. It was great. You know, everything's fine. But I, I, I'm sitting in the back, like kind of cringing a little bit of like, oh, this looks, this looks terrible comparatively uh, to what we uh, we got now, but also to a lot of stuff that probably was out then, and we just, I just didn't recognize the difference on that. But I just don't think it's 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 aged as well. Um, one of my fa- so I'm gonna admit something here that will make me look very stupid, but I do think it, it kind of uh, it adds to the sort of timelessness of this film and part of, again of why it holds up so well this time later i i did not realize until recently like maybe more recently than i would like to admit that this is set in the 60s i it just never um it never occurred to me that this movie was taking place uh between seems like the timeline is like the beginning of the movie is is somewhere in the late 40s maybe 1947 48 and then the 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 bulk of the movie takes place in like 1962 to 19 somewhere in that area um i had no idea and i feel very stupid about that because now <laughs> now knowing that now have somebody it's like a glass shattering moment somebody you know pointing that out uh was like oh right exactly that's why didn't i think about that but i I'll take half the blame on that and just say I'm stupid, but on the other half that I think that that is part of the, uh, what makes it such a timeless classic movie is it, there's never any, given that the movie is set 40 years before it came out, there's no feeling of, uh, oh, that looks dated, you know, from the beginning. I don't know. It's just, there's something, it's a, and I think, for me, maybe one of my favorite parts of this movie is the architecture and the technology. And we talked a little bit about the sticky, the sticky balls and stuff. But um, I think that the, I think Brad Bird, this is kind, maybe is kind of a stroke of genius 
in the production of the design of this movie is all that stuff looks like what people thought the future was going to look like and that's like very uh it's very modern to that era the 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 late 50s early 60s and also to the the concepts of like what things will look like somewhere down the line so i think in my mind i just kind of took that to the the it's natural extreme of like okay this is set um in current day, but but um, but through the eyes of how somebody would have imagined things to look like thirty or forty years ago, and instead I'm just dumb, and it's taking place back then. But I I think the uh, I think the, the the set design, the architecture, uh, the technology is a sneakily underrated aspect of what makes the movie great, and and again holds up so well is just because it it's it's so. Uh, appealing to the eye aesthetically it looks beautiful and again that's part animation but partly just seriously just the design of the buildings the island the way that insurecore looks um and and is kind of uh it you know supposed to look like the worst place on earth and um and the the cars that they drive and uh the the flying discs on the island and things like that i just think are maybe that might truth truthfully that might be the greatest design of anything that pixar has ever done i just think it it looks amazing and it is so cool and uh aesthetically pleasing that for me i find myself just getting completely wrapped up in just how uh the sets look and and the feel of of the movie i don't know if i'm alone in that but that's something that has always been uh, a favorite part of this for me yeah i actually have two like mental notes mm. regarding the, the the time period um first is that this is so after a rewatch it's so reminiscent weirdly of um batman the animated series with the aforementioned kevin conroy sure where when you watch most of the episodes you have no idea what time period it is right like the cops are cops they have these certain blocky modern-esque guns Mm -hmm. um every piece of technology that batman has um is just a batman version of something so it can be anything and and he's just like you're just flying through buildings and fighting villains and whatever and so they they really just built a sense of timelessness through that and i think the same thing applies here where like technically there's like an ipad in this like right yeah yeah you know like um and and i think and the other note is that along with the batman thing they're inspired by um i would imagine uh fantastic four and and Mm -hmm. to a lesser degree um the the doom patrol which i don't know if you know what that is it's well, they're, DC is making a TV show of it, so you'll soon know. Um, <laughs> Can't wait. But it's like, it's like, uh, what if, like you were saying, what if like technology went fast forward twenty years right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's set in the sixties and it has all this quote unquote future technology and silly things like flying bladed disc ships or something like that exist. Um, but it's it's really cool because like like you said, it, this is this makes it timeless. The, the animation is just good enough. Um, the, the setting is so like, they don't show cell phones at all. Um, Mm -hmm. and they don't contrive a scenario where with like, you would need a cell phone really. Um, like no, there's no kid missing who should have one and he's at work. So he can't answer his phone. Things like that. You have the car phone or whatever in the, uh, right. But that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, that is like pretty interesting and, and you can tell that he is, Brad Bird was inspired. Everyone says, uh, this is like the best Fantastic Four movie you can make, which sure. I can get into later. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, the, the time, the aesthetic is, is really nice. Uh, it is so well crafted and the world is so well built that it's a shame that it's 14 years later and we were just getting a sequel. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I, I always, <laughs> We talked about this before. Uh, whenever we we get into Pixar territory, I I tend to cut Pixar a lot of slack, um, because I'm a Disney stan. Everybody knows that. no because it's it's like when you when they catch criticism for like oh all you're doing is making sequels. It's like well look guys they Inside Out came out two years. You know what I mean? Like they're you're going right. to have if they want to kind of 
take a step back on some of the the scope and scale of the planning that they have to put into these movies, then I think that that's well within their right to do so and to to say, yeah, look, it would be nice if we. It probably would be better if we could come up with another original idea today to make into a movie that will come out in five years, but. Sometimes it's nice to make a billion dollars and still yeah. <laughs> do them pretty well, you know. Like I don't love Finding Dory, but it was fine and it was a it was a solid it was a solid animated kids film that had elements for adults and it made a billion dollars. So I feel like right, gotta fund your project. Exactly, that's exactly right. That said, <laughs> we've all been saying for years, look, if you're gonna keep doing these daggum sequels, that's fine. What we want is Incredibles too. Like that's the one that we're all <laughs> kind of just waiting in line for, um, more so than uh, you know Monsters University or the Godforsaken Cars series. And um, I couldn't believe Monsters <laughs> University got one. Like Monsters Inc. I know, and I don't mind. Monsters University is fine. It's fine. It's just not. I. It's not what we kind of ex- we are hoping for Incredibles two to be. By the way, I have the. Very early buzz on Incredibles two has not been great. It's been adequate or you know decent. Um, so that's kind of that that bums me out just a little bit that it doesn't seem like it's going to be. It sounds like there's at least a, a contingent of people who saw the early screenings who are saying, "Eh, it's it's good. It's not great." And so that kind of bums me out. Maybe that just lends itself to uh, stop making sequels. But you know, hey, yeah, gotta yeah. gotta get that money. So. Um, I don't remember where I was going with that, so it's all good. I liked your your comp on on Batman the animated series. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, and you helped me feel not stupid, so I appreciate that as well. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean seriously, probably in the last six months, I was like, oh right, it is set in the '60s. What have I been thinking this entire time? Um, my favorite scene sequence, whatever in the movie, I, I always thought Mr. Incredible, like kind of getting his his groove back and. Um, the training montage and then going to the island back and forth is really cool. The sequence with Dash and Violet in the forest with the discs and Dash running and Violet learning how to control her powers and stuff, I think is the be- for me is the best scene in the movie and l- looks amazing. It, it kind of has this culmination of emotions that you've been kind of waiting for to come to the, the forefront over the whole uh, the course of the movie. And uh, that's one that, like, right before we started recording, I went back and and rewatched that sequence by itself just to kind of remind myself of of uh, what you know. My like I said, my favorite part, the part that I love. Is there a is there a scene, a sequence, anything, uh, any one moment, I guess, that jumps out as like this is what I think of when I think of the Incredibles for you? Um, well, we we already mentioned the uh, the rubber ball mm-hmm. thing. That is just so unique and and it. I remember, like, I remember latching onto it throughout the years. Uh, every time I watched this, like the three or four times I watched this, I didn't think I would like the beginning of, like, when he's in his prime as much as I ended up liking on rewatch, sure. uh, where he's like, "Oh, I got time." Uh, like, kind of this, like, really cocky, mm-hmm. like I'm the biggest superhero in the world, and and it's the way he goes from saving, like, I don't know the cat on the tree and then something else and then saving the guy from the suicide and then fighting finding the supervillain and like one it's like uh it's kind of like the whole like superman would never ever have like time to breathe type you know yeah sure stick sure um and the other one is just it's just the way that they like show him like saving these people like right after another and it's like it was just a really cool sequence um I, I love the the bomb voyage and it's just yes he's like Monsieur Incredible and it's just like this is this is ridiculous yes um but it, they they really show you it's like look what we can do with computer animation mm, uh, mm-hmm. and they they do it like very early um what else was there I anything with anything with Elastigirl just really like really makes like they're really showing off I think with it and I, I I'm I'm hoping we get some more of it yeah. Uh, or some more of that sense of accomplishment with that kind of animation in the sequel, who knows? Um, but visually, those those I think are the sure. the best things. Okay. Um, I think you kind of touched on the beginning and then moving into that. That's really my probably my my last big point. I when I was looking back and um, researching and and going through stories and quotes and stuff like that, Brad Bird said that. Uh, he what 
the design, the the um, the intent of the movie sort of is is to, in his words, to quote to to mix the mundane and the fantastic, and I. I key on that because I think, to your point, just the beginning and with Mr. Incredible and we see everything that he's accomplishing and then you transition pretty quickly into this is what family life is like um, and they, you know, they're having to hide and all that sort of stuff. I, I feel like that's probably one of the reasons that um, this movie, if you consider this, if you look at this movie as a superhero movie, um, which you can. I I don't. I don't tend to think like when I'm making a list of the best superhero movies of all time for whatever. I don't really think of it like that. Just because the same as we said at the at the the outset, it's like it's. I don't even think of this as like oh let's list one of the great animated movies because it's just a great movie aside right. from genre or qualification or or whatever. But if you do think of this as a superhero movie or comic book movie, um. I think that's one of the things that makes it so uh, appealing and, and emotionally connective because there's a real, true human element to that. And that's a, the, just the, the concept of um, all these concepts of like, I used to be this, but now I have a family and I have to, you know, everything changes. And the idea of like, I have great ability within me, but no one's giving me the opportunity to show that. And, I super freaking hate my job, but that's the only way that I can provide for my, all these things. Um, I think, I feel like we, we, we now we get however, I don't know, 10 superhero movies a year and that might be underselling it. And they're always trying to find, uh, trying to ground it, right? Like we're trying to find how can we make this relatable and, and make it sort of a, uh, how can we make you care about a talking raccoon? How can we make right. um, a giant green dude human? How can we make, you know, uh, probably drunk Batman and super jacked Superman care about one another and come together? You know, how can we find the the human elements within these really non-human stories? And then you kind of, you look back at this, and this is really really the beginning of the the true like superhero movie era and they uh, so, well Spider-Man two, X-Men Sp- right Spider-Man X-Men's 2000 Spider-Man's 02 this is 04 this is certainly before we get into the like the MCU hasn't started back Absolutely, Batman yeah. Begins comes out the next year I think I think it's yeah, 2005 05. so I'm just saying it's it's one of the the beginning movies of this whole era that we're in with it for if for better or for worse is like all encompassing all the time we always you know it seems like every week we're getting a new superhero <laughs> movie for better or for worse whatever it's not the point but my, my what my point is is like it's funny that we're still trying to do this we're still trying to find ways to to make the audience connect with people who really truly are unconnectable in the grand scheme of things because they're not human <laughs> and this animated movie from 2004 got it right and we're just like right, kind of trying yeah. still chasing that um so many so many years down the line but Every time I watch the movie, I find myself I'm I'm instantly um, emotionally and and kind of in a in like a life sense connected to uh, the characters in a way that I don't typically get with uh, whatever Iron Man or um, <laughs> Wonder Woman or or whoever else right. they just they they yeah. they got Brad Bird I think really under, it's it's kind of Spielbergian in that way it's like he really understood. How can we uh, how can we get the audience to to buy into this and and again goes to like how it's just hard to classify this um, as not j- instead of just looking at it as uh, a movie because of uh, I think that's a big part of it so um, I don't I don't have any other notes specifically on on this movie as a whole uh, do you have anything you have anything else to share. Yeah, I got, I think, Go two for things it. on my mind. Uh, well, going back to the point you, you just made, it's like, I think comic book movies have, have I don't want to say perfected, but they've really um, gotten a couple of good hits on, hey, this is X genre movie in a superhero setting mm-hmm. um, sure. versus the, the Winter Soldier's a spy movie. Right. Um, Logan is a is a Western. I think that is the, the I think the, it's the greatest example we have of like, no, we're taking a genre and putting superheroes in it. Sure. Um, and then like and then but then you have something like Logan and not Logan, excuse me, Deadpool, 
Thor Ragnarok, maybe even Wonder Woman, where just like, no, we're just making a superhero movies and staying true to the mm-hmm. to the character of the superhero. And like this movie is, is is none of that. There's just like these are are people that you want to follow, or that you want the stories about, sure. and they happen to be superheroes, right? Yes. Like, I don't think we've built any superhero up that well uh ever uh i'm thinking back like we can do it with uh tom holland's peter parker yeah like marvel if they just put the work in and don't hire like b plus people to do their movie Mm -hmm. like i think they did with homecoming then you can create this kind of wow i really love this character i love him as a person Give me scenarios of him as a person and a superhero, or and then and then give us superhero stuff in it, and that's what this is, right? It's 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 Robert Parr and and, and the Parr family, um, and it's like, oh, guess what? He's he used to be a superhero, and, and and his family has superpowers. Like that's what this is about. It's not about syndrome. It's not about fitting it in a genre. It's like, no, this is a character study. Uh, this is a family study, right? Uh, it, it's I think. You know, you look at the Wikipedia page, and Brad Bird is like, "Yeah, this is my family. Sure, this is my life experience, and and I put it in a superhero setting." And you're right, we we haven't gotten that at all with the MCU. And if we haven't gotten it with the MCU, nobody else has really tried it <laughs> right. yet. Um, right. My other note is that, like, in this film, like, uh, if you try to like analyze it plot wise, like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, mm. The whole suing superheroes, the whole putting them into hiding, like. Like, if superheroes exist and people have these powers, like, one, where is everyone else that has superpowers that's been popping up, you know, all the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, to what happened to what happened to all the superpowers, supervillains? Like, shouldn't they just be wreaking havoc? Like, right. And that's why I had to, like, make the point. I was like, this is still very much a, a, a kid-slash-family movie where you're just supposed to realize the movie's not about that at all. Um, but if this came out today, like we would have podcasts like us go two hours on why this movie makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I, I think it's smart on their, on their part on Brad Bird's part to, uh, if you're going to do that, I, cause I love that. I think it's a really smart, funny, interesting. Because I, that happens still to like, uh, Batman v Superman. We got to, we got to register. We, or the X-Men, we've got to register all the X-Men. We got to know. Who right. they, it's just a constant thing. Um, that, superhero movies are trying to deal with is like how do we how would the world handle right how you reconcile right exactly and that's fine like i have no problem with that and sometimes it's done really well civil war and all that i mean it's like um i but it it does it does kind of become like a tired trope to me of like i just i feel like if if superman existed in this in right now if superman came out of the sky and was just the thing that i knew like flew around Dallas, I'd be like, it's pretty cool that Superman's here. I, I just, I don't think that I would stress myself out about it, but <laughs> yeah. it's always the the focus uh, of a lot of these movies, it feels like. I think it's real smart, really smart on his part to um, throw that out there. We do it in a montage form, and then we fast forward 15 years. So you don't have to deal right. with the fallout of, because you're yeah. totally right. What does happen with all these supervillains? It's not like they're just going to be like, all right, I'll go into hiding. You know, there's things that um, you that definitely need to be dealt with in there to really make this, to conceivably make this plan work. You know, um, things have to, a lot of things have to be figured out. Right. Uh, and we don't have to deal with any of that. We just get to right. see what's happening now that it has been figured out. And I, I think that's a stroke of genius because the, again, like that's not really what this movie's about. So maybe I'm exactly. giving him too much credit, but it seems like that easily could have been a stumbling block in the creative process somewhere of like, well, we got to spend 20 minutes on figuring out how, and they're like, no, we just fast forward 15 years. That's all that matters at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you're right. It, it is smart of him to just gloss over it. Like, People won't. People won't dwell on it. Yeah. They just want to. They'll just enjoy the movie. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. Last thing, and let's grade. This is the hardest thing for me. Um, I like lists and rankings <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> as as anyone who's ever listened to the show knows, I'm a big fan of of rankings and such. I feel like I have on my letterbox letterboxed. If you want to follow, it's at Brian Gill on Letterbox. Um, I have a Pixar ranking that I did. I think right after Coco came out, and I. I think I'm going to stick with that, but I don't feel good about it. Like, for me, the top five, it truly could be... Five could be one, one could be five. It They all 
intersect. I think it's like a T. I almost think of it as like if you're setting up a big board uh, for an NFL or NBA draft, like you would have tiers of players. I almost feel like that. I feel like the top for me, the top five are one tier, and then it's two more is the second tier, and then it goes from there. So I, I my top five in some order. Uh, I have I have uh, Toy Story Toy and Toy Story Three, uh, Incredibles, Wally, and Inside Out, and I can go any direction with those movies. Right now, I have Incredibles at four, and um, but there's been a there's been long stretches of my movie watching career where I would tell you that Incredibles is number one in that list, and I think there's a really solid case to be made that. That aside from personal feelings and attachment and preferences and all that sort of stuff, that this movie, that The Incredibles, is the best movie that Pixar has ever made. Um, it's just, it's really hard. It's, it's to me, it, it's very similar to like when I did the Spielberg list uh, a couple months ago. Of like, when I got down to that top eight or whatever, I was like, I, I mean, it could be anything. I'm picking one child over over another. So, uh, f- I'm right now. I have it at four. Don't feel great about that. Uh, but it could easily be anywhere else. Where where does Incredibles fall in your rankings, and how how do you think? Would you say would you agree with me that this legitimately could be the best of the movies, or am I overstretching? Uh, no, I, I think it's I think that is absolutely uh, a, a very defendable position to have. I I'm looking at the list right now because I this is one of the one like this is what, I love making lists like the MCU. <laughs> I'll list it like right off the top of my head. My favorite movies. I'll list them. This list is so hard that I, I I just avoid looking at it. It's like the sun. I just can't. Um, like I need it, right? But I just can't look at it. Uh, I'm gonna go. I see. Like I think Toy Story and The Incredibles. There might be a little too much nostalgia, but I think those are one and two. Okay. Uh, the original Toy Story. Um, I think in my top tier, I think Finding Nemo's there. I think Wally's probably above Finding Nemo, and like I really like Up. Oh gosh! But is it better than Toy Story three? Like I don't think so. Yeah, I have Up right? at six. That's yeah. Up is, but Up I really like that. You know what's you know what's crazy is that I loved Coco. I did too. I yeah, loved I too. Coco. But is it better than any of these? That, movies? That, that, that's the thing. That's exactly that's exactly my point with with all those. Is I love Coco. I am super high on Coco, and it's a great movie. If Coco is a uh, like a DreamWorks movie, or like immediately you walk out of the theater like, oh, that's the best DreamWorks movie of all time. It's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. Yeah. But it's you're dealing yeah. with it's you know like which of I don't which of uh, Michael Jordan's MVP years was best, you know, like Shea Serrano did that in his basketball. It, it's, it's like, it's really freaking difficult to, uh, to pick once you, once you boil it, once you get down to it. So I, right. my list is on Letterboxd. I don't know if you're on Letterboxd or not. If you, if you I, have that. I am. Okay. I don't, let me, uh, I'll get back to you guys yeah. on the letter, what my letterbox is. Yeah. Uh, but this is, this is one of the toughest, like I, I challenge you listeners. Yeah. This isn't even my show, <laughs> yeah. but like. Like you have to suffer through this, like I have just now. Yeah, um, it's tough. It's tough. It's I. I couldn't. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I like it. I've stumped you. Like, okay. Like I feel like I'm insulting. Like yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree five. with you. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. They're all for me. They are all a plus. They're a plus plus movies. Um, and I, and I love them all. It's interesting to the funny thing about this is like the uh, Pixar. One of the hallmarks of Pixar movies is that they just crush you in the feelings, whether for good or for bad. You know, they just right. they come after your emotions, and this one doesn't. It's the least emotionally uh, manipulative movie of the like any of the top twelve or whatever of of the the Pixar movies. Um, like I know Richard doesn't isn't particularly in tune with with the Pixar movies because he doesn't like to feel and so going to a Pixar <laughs> movie is like really like he does but he just yeah like, oh, he just like he, he doesn't like to deal with this I, I I should I think he's high on this regardless it's funny that this that the thing that maybe makes Pixar movies Pixar movies in a lot of ways or at least the thing you think about when you think of a Pixar movie is like gosh up's great but oh, it like crushed my soul and toys the end of Toy Story 3 just makes me choke up even thinking about it and things like that this is the least uh, emotionally, I don't know, 
I said manipulative. I'm just going to stick with that. Manipulative of the series. And yet, it may very well be the best. And it also definitely handles and understands uh, human conflict and emotion. And right. like, like the this general... like. The sense of being that is being a human, you know, it, it gets it, it gets it so well um, without yeah. playing on that, which I think is fun. But this is the this is the realist. Uh, sure, movie. absolutely, it's, it's the one most in touch with reality, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's the most adventurous. Yeah, for sure. Perhaps maybe Finding Nemo in, in a sense, mm-hmm. but like this movie is just so it's so well written. Yeah, and so. Um, like I was watching it and I looked at the timestamp and I was like, oh, I'm almost done. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I've, I've been running for an hour and 20 minutes and I, I had like it was just a ride. I I think really for the the top maybe six or seven Pixar movies, you just have to give them superlatives and leave it at that. Sure. Yeah. No, I agree. And just be like, this is this is the most whatever. This is what makes me feel the most. Like, I think Wally makes me feel the most. I love Wally. I think talking about that just talking about good. Good segue there. We are talking. Yeah. Kent, Richard and I or at least Kent and I. I don't know if Richard will join us. Uh, we'll be talking Wally this week in the VIP feed. So I'll, I'll, I'll plug that now and, and uh, tease it again here in a second. So yes, I, I'm with right, you. So it's great. On, on this list, where would you put, this is going to, you're going to hate me. Where would you put Moana here? Like if Moana, if Moana, was, Moana a, was a Pixar, Pixar movie, movie, I'm super glad it's not. Cause I love Moana <laughs> so much. Um, Moana, it's definitely in that same group of, yeah, the top. right. You have to push something out of a fire. Yeah. I'd have to push something out and I'd, you know what? I would probably end up. I would, I would probably end up finding a because this is how my brain works. I would find a way to um, feel okay about bumping Toy Story or Toy Story Three by saying you know something to myself of like, yeah, but really all of them are the same. It's like they're all there. <laughs> they're the same. It's yeah, like, it's one trilogy <laughs> so that I can keep a top five. Something like that. I would find some loophole in the system because I love, I love, love, I love Moana. I will ride or die for Moana all day long. I'm glad yeah. it's a Disney movie, not a Pixar movie. It doesn't have to be involved in this conversation. Because uh, as a Disney movie, it's it's head and shoulders above most yeah. Disney movies. Yeah. Which is an impressive thing. Yeah. So. Inside Out yeah. is the one that people, I feel like it doesn't have as much uh, like timelessness to it. And it certainly doesn't have, obviously doesn't have the nostalgia built in because it only came out a couple years right. ago. But um, it's the one that you will forget how great it is and then you will watch it and then you are just bawling and you're emotionally crushed and it's so good. It's so, and you're just immediately reminded of like, oh, right, this is... And I, Inside Out, I think, if uh, if you're down on Inside Out now, I'm not saying you are, just anybody out there. If you're down on Inside Out now, um, watch it again after you have a kid because it completely changes the... <laughs> <laughs> the whole emotional yeah. aspect of that movie, and it is so perfect. So, um, yeah, dude, I love Moana, but I love I love all of these movies, and they're they're very good. My grade is an A plus. I don't feel like I have to uh, go any further on that because we've just gone on and on about how great all these movies are. It's an A plus for me, and holds up incredibly well. Incredible shots, and uh, I'm looking forward to the sequel. What's what's your what's your grade? It's an A plus. It's it's a it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, this is a perfect movie yeah. for what you have to look at context and in context, it's perfect. Agree. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to us. Uh, if you, again, if you're a new listener, usually there are other people besides just me and usually Ariel is not here. So if you really liked Ariel, <laughs> you're going to have to go to his podcast. Ariel, where can we find you? You can find my podcast at geek one Oh one podcast. Uh, you can also find that on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, what is my Twitter? Oh, Dread Pirate Rada. And you can find me at Letterboxd uh, at Ariel Dean is my nice. Letterboxd name. I just looked it nice. up. Nice. Yeah. I like it. So you can find me at BD. Nope, that's not right anymore. You can find me at nope. BKill12 on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Mad About Movies. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. We are out there. If you liked what you heard, there are two ways that you can help us. Number one, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, that helps us so much with ratings and uh, promotions and all the sort of stuff that go into making this show succeed. And if you super liked us, uh, you can go to madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP and subscribe to our uh, VIP club, which gets you access to three-plus throwbacks per month. So stuff just like this uh, at least three times a month, plus 
bonus episodes, spinoff podcasts, AMAs, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, we love any support that we can get from you on that front. Check that out again at madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. Uh, this week, we will be talking about Wally in the VIP feed, like I said, and uh, I'm super excited to do that. And then we will also be talking about Ocean's 8 on the main feed, so that should be headed your way shortly. In addition, you will get at least one and possibly two Mad About Sports podcasts this week in the VIP feed. So it's a big week. Get over there. Subscribe. We have lots of fun stuff headed your way for uh, the NBA draft, which is just next week, and then uh, also the beginning of the World Cup. So thank you for joining us, and until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salad and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I've got you pegged